0: Gig Cooks, I spy on menus and 800 Degrees announces a huge Reef partnership. That's all ahead on this week's Monday Minute. Monday Minute works like this. We curate five key headlines from the last week and we give you our perspective on it. It shouldn't take long, so let's get started.
1: right, Carl, the first one this week is for you, Uh, California AB 626 is passed, which allows home cooks to prepare meals for others out of their kitchens. What does this mean for the restaurant industry?
0: It's a really interesting area, it was passed earlier this month, Meredith, it's going to enable people to cook meals and other permit approved home kitchen. For the purposes of off-premise delivery it's known in some parts as the cottage food industry but now there are marketplaces that are actually trying to work up this specific thing to really help restaurants and um, not restaurants but actually home cooks get an alternative way of being able to make income so what goes through my mind is it's almost like uh, your neighbor being able to uh, create a, a dish and be able to bring it over and charge you uh, a fee for it uh, the actual marketplace that is in the news this week is something called dish divvy And obviously, they're very excited about this particular news. They charge a a 15% fee, and 85% of the actual total order then goes to the home cook. Now, there is one limitation with this particular legislation, and that is that you can only have 60 dishes prepared out of each kitchen each week. So, for me, this is more of a gig cooking opportunity, if you will, as opposed to something where people are going to be creating mass restaurant volume through uh, their own home kitchen. Um, I think there are also a few health and safety things that have to be, people have to be mindful of. But there are inspections done. The kitchens can be inspected by both the authorities as well as the marketplaces. Uh, but I think it's an interesting one to watch out for. If it's successful, of course, in California, it could you know, branch out into other states. And if that happens, then I suspect the larger marketplaces, the DoorDashes and Uber Eats of this world, will take some attention too towards it. OK, so question two is uh, Jonathan Mays, uh, another one of his podcasts, we featured him last week, if you recall, uh, Deeper Dive. They were talking about the struggle of independence and you know just the difference between them and the big chains. Uh, you listened to this podcast last week and what was your take on it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it truly has been a tale of two recoveries where the big chains, particularly those big chains that have drive throughs have done actually quite well coming out of the pandemic. And the independents have continued to struggle. And there's a number of things behind this. Um, You know, one as simple as just um, the certainty as to whether or not something will be open, which Jonathan Mays talks about in the podcast. Um, With a big chain, it's very reliable. You know, if you go there, they're going to be serving food. With a small one, not so sure, not so sure what they might have in stock but it hits every single thing. Um, When there's supply chain issues, the big chains are better able to ensure their supply. Um, They do a lot of forward buying uh, to ensure that they'll have enough um, supply across all of their fleet of restaurants. Um, They're also able to more rapidly um, substitute out items if needed, whereas the small ones um, might be a little more spot buyers and therefore subject to whatever the market uh, brings to them. But finally, and most importantly, there's a digital divide and the big chains can afford to think through how they want to interact with their consumers digitally, whereas the small independents, um, in many cases, if they are putting in something digital, they're putting in just a piece or they're relying on whatever um, software provider they go with to have a good solution. They're not doing a lot of customization. Um, And this means that the big chains, many of which were investing in digital long before the pandemic came, are able to create a customized um, frictionless experience for their guests. Whereas the independents maybe don't have any digital way of connecting with their guests at all, or if they do, they're subject to whatever the platform they've chosen uh, allows them to do. So for me, this is a really, really fascinating uh, moment in our macroeconomic history because independent restaurants are so important to the fabric of our communities. They're so important um, in terms of keeping dollars local and independent entrepreneurs and all of the people that they employ that I'm hopeful these independent restaurants can find a way to get through this. But the National Restaurant Association recently surveyed a bunch of them. They said that, the last three months have been harder than the three months prior. Um, Jonathan Mays in the podcast refers to a statistic um, where independent restaurants have now taken on so much debt that it's starting to affect their credit scores. Um, so there's a lot of scary things happening in that part of the industry. And I think that we're going to see some pretty radical change to address what's going on. So Amazon Prime and Deliveroo um, have teamed up for free deliveries um, over across the pond. So Carl, um, tell us, what do you make of this? And do you expect to see it over here in the US?
0: Well, it's a 25 pound minimum. So it's uh, $40 more or less to be able to get access to Deliveroo Plus, which typically is about three pound 50 a month or $5. And Amazon are not uh, alone really in this kind of space. They've been, I think Nintendo Switch did something similar before with Deliveroo. But Amazon, did you know, uh, they actually invested in delivery a couple of years ago. They led the, I think it was the $575 million round. So they're kind of vested in making sure delivery continue to find success over in the UK. Um, You know, I think for me, It's Because of those limitations, I think it's more of a marketing play than anything particularly fundamental going on. I don't think we're going to start to see Amazon restaurants appear in the UK anytime soon. We know they tried in the UK, they tried in the US, and I think right now they're trying to make uh, inroads into India. Uh, But for me, it's more of a marketing play. As for the US, obviously, Amazon Prime is huge here as well. Um, But I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see the likes of Netflix or T-Mobile and and various different other subscription-based monthly kind of costs be incorporated into a DoorDash or an Uber Eats in the future. And I think that could be really kind of interesting because the more you remove the delivery component, the cost of delivery from the consumer's mindset the more likely they are to order from those platforms more regularly, therefore driving frequency, which is one of the kind of key measures of success for platforms these days.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And when, once you have that sunk cost of having paid the subscription, whether you're paying it directly to DoorDash or through some kind of partner, uh, you think, well, I might as well. I've already paid for it, right? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Okay, so our fourth question is some exciting news. Uh, 800 Degrees have basically announced this week that they are teaming up with Reef with expansion plans of up to 500 additional units. Um, what's happening here, and you know why should everyone be excited about this news?
1: Yeah, well, this is sort of the opposite news of what we just talked about with independents struggling. 800 degrees is a relatively small brand. They don't have a huge footprint. And for them to suddenly go to 500 units is huge growth overnight. And I think it tells you about the way that independent restaurants can thrive going forward. As I understand the deal, it seems like um, Reef and 800 g- Degrees and Piestro, which is the um, robotic pizza making.
0: Uh, Paestro, I mean. Paestro,
1: I mean. I, no. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you for channeling Massimo. Um, I think that uh, because the three of them together have come come together to make this deal, what it tells you is there is a totally new and different way of being an independent and succeeding um, that is just fundamentally light years ahead and different from how we used to do it in the past. You know, In the past when you had one successful restaurant and you you wanted to grow, you needed a lot of capital to do it. Um, It was very tough. And now um, if you have a great product like 800 Degrees does and you wanna get it out to more people, you can without building a restaurant, um, without hiring a whole bunch of people. And um, what this tells me is, as I alluded to earlier, if the independent restaurants are going to survive and even thrive, it's going to be in a fundamentally different business model from what it's been in the past. All right, and the last one here, um, at TGI Fridays is the latest uh, to announce uh, eyeball tracking in your app so that they know what you're looking at. Um, that sounds Really futuristic, so tell us about what's happening and what restaurants can do with this technology.
0: Yeah, do you have one of these? I have one of these. I put it in front of, I don't know if you can see that there, but it's a it's a webcam protector. And some okay. people are having those that they put in front of their cameras because they're concerned about people watching you as you explore whatever you're doing on your computer. And the same thing's happening on people's smartphones. Uh, now, this isn't something that is mainstream yet. A company called Revenue Management Solutions and iMotions uh, did a study uh, with TGI Fridays where they, they looked at the way in which participants scanned a menu, the ordering journey, uh, the way in which their spend patterns happened as a result of that ordering journey. And there were some really interesting things that came out of this. Uh, for example, 50% of the left side of the menu was typically ignored by uh, those that were in the study. And so people typically read in a tea-based fashion, and I think as um, all the various different restaurant listeners that are you know, thinking about how to redesign their menu for a smartphone or for a computer interface, need to be mindful of how their menu is designed for where con- consumers and guests are going to be looking. They learned that there were four key phases in the buyer's journey. Those were familiarization, expiration, affirmation and confirmation. And really what they noticed was that in the expiration phase, that's the piece where people narrow down their choices, they evaluate them further. And the confirmation phase, which is where people are going through the checkout process, is in those two areas where people tended to change what they were choosing to purchase for food that particular at that particular time. And so with those kind of insights i think restaurants are going to be able to utilize that insight and be able to ensure they can improve the way in which their menu is displayed the the ways in which options that they're trying to promote get in front of the consumers that they're trying to promote towards and while it's a little bit scary in the sense of data privacy you can see the way in which this kind of technology can help restaurants make better decisions around uh, their menu management Mm-hmm. okay guys that's it for another week hopefully you found this of interest we'd love to hear from you what you think whether you agree with us whether you disagree with us uh, please leave your comments below follow us on all the main social platforms and we look forward to seeing you next week.